This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 279 of the universe's prime source of reliable lies, The Bugle. I am Andy Zaltzman, and I have the paperwork to back up that claim live in London. Ditto, and joining me from the icy wastelands of America, where angels fear to tread. Largely because they're mostly quite old, the angels, and the cold really gets to their joints. You know, 85% of all angels suffer wing arthritis once they're more than a millennium old. Anyway, it is the warming mug of satirical soup in the frozen picnic of frontline politics. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Well, to start, Andy, I did indeed come perilously close to doing this bugle from inside a 15-foot snowdrift <laughs> because on Tuesday I was supposed to do a gig in Buffalo, which you may have seen on the news uh, as being the recent recipient of an almost cartoonish amount of snow. I was about to leave for the airport when I heard a news report describing Buffalo experiencing something called thunder snow. And <laughs> it's never a good sign, Andy, when you hear about a form of weather uh, you were not previously aware existed. <laughs> Buffalo does not get to make up its own weather front, Andy. Today is thunder snow, tomorrow it's lightning tornadoes with maybe a dash of quicksand fog. You know, <laughs> the soupy air that sucks you into it like a vapour. You've never heard of that, you've clearly never been to Buffalo. Uh, so uh, I had to cancel the gig, sadly. Uh, but I was then in Denver on Wednesday where I was informed of a spectacular annual celebration that I'm angry I was not aware of before, Andy. And I think you will appreciate this. It's something called Frozen Dead Guy Day, which <laughs> takes place in Colorado every March. And if you're thinking, well, that can't be what it sounds like, then you're wrong, because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> the, the background is that in the late 1980s, a Norwegian man brought his dead grandfather packed in dry ice to a town called Nederland in Colorado. He then cryogenically froze his grandfather and put him in a shed where he remains to this day. And the frozen dead guy days are celebrated from Friday through Sunday on the first full weekend of March. They feature such community events as coffin races, a slow-motion parade, and frozen dead guy lookalike contest. I'm, I'm appalled, Andy that this is not more widely known. And it's not for lack of trying, because the frozen dead grandpa in question is in a tough brand shed and has inspired two documentaries. The first one is called Grandpa's in the Tough Shed, and then the newer version is called Grandpa is Still in the Tough Shed. And if you're thinking, well, this is all very well, but do they have a special ice cream flavour named after this frozen Norwegian grandpa corpse? The answer is yes. It's made by Glacier Ice Cream, and it's called Frozen Dead Guy, and it's apparently fruit flavour flavoured blue ice cream mixed with crushed Oreo cookies and sour gummy worms. <laughs> this, Andy, is just the kind of shit that I guess you do when humans live over 5,000 feet above sea level and do not get the recommended amount of oxygen to their brains. <laughs> you do great things, that's what I'm saying. That also sounds like how religions start in a kind of <laughs> using modern technology. Um, this, yeah, this would be a good religion, though, Andy. This is one you would want to take power. If it, if it involves coffin races and blue ice cream, then I think that's something everyone can get behind. Um, just, just one question on this. Do we know why the Norwegian guy took his dead, frozen grandfather to, to, think, to uh, Colorado I think in if the first you even place? have to ask that question, Andy, you'll never understand the answer. 
Right. I mean, was it an accident? Did he just like leave home on his trip to Colorado and think, "Oh no, I've brought Granddad's corpse with me. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to it's work certainly... a way around this." It's certainly a very ballsy way to walk through the nothing to declare line. <laughs> but also, Look, I've got no liquids <laughs> above a certain number of milliliters. Isn't that what you wanted? <laughs> well, I mean, I, what was it? Is it was it his grandpa's dying wish? I mean, that seems an odd wish for a, a very old Norwegian man to have. Now, what what I want what is I to be the whole thing, Andy. It throws up so many questions, and yeah, it turned up. The audience mentioned it. And then I seemed shocked, and then they seemed offended by my shock. It's become so routine to them in two decades, the fact they have a frozen Norwegian grandpa in a shed. <laughs> How come? Because they've built a holiday around. Um, uh, the uh, Democrats had their convention in, in Denver, yes. didn't they? Um, was it uh, right. in 2012? or I can't remember. 2008. Well, 2008, was it? That long ago. Um, yeah. uh, how come Obama managed to do his entire speech... Without mentioning the frozen dead guy, I, mean, that... I think again, it's the kind of thing that now makes you question <laughs> his presidency. <laughs> it's a huge thing to leave out. Yeah, I mean that just doesn't add up, frankly. I mean you've got to chuck in and pick up a bit of local colour to these things. Um, I've uh, also sadly had to uh, had to postpone uh, a gig uh, due to the snow in Buffalo, and that gig is in Folkestone in England, where. <laughs> Due to the snow in Buffalo, my gig next Thursday in Folkestone <laughs> will no longer <laughs> no longer be taking place because I think all the people who were going to buy tickets uh, were yep. too worried about the snow in Buffalo to actually mm-hmm. buy those tickets. So yeah, that's fair. That that gig is no longer happening. But <laughs> um, so you're uh, so you're not actually fully frozen at the moment. You're in uh, Anaheim. I'm in Anaheim, California, where, right. you know, there is a 15-foot less snow than there is in Buffalo. Right. Because it was... Although, although I'm, I'm within about two miles of Disneyland, as I sit here now, Andy, and I think I'd rather be under 15 foot of snow than there, <laughs> having, having to maintain conversation with a six-foot depressed goofy. <laughs> under 15 foot of, of spiritual <laughs> snow. Because um, uh, we, we heard on the radio this, this week that at one point, all 50 states were recording a sub-zero temperature somewhere in those 50 states, even Hawaii, John. Mm. Um, well, you would have thought that the only ones that uh, would be suffering this meteorological vengeance of the Lord would be the states that had legalised gay marriage, but obviously uh, right. big fellas going for collective responsibility this week. Well, I guess, I guess they're probably a little warmer anyway, Andy, because they're about to burn in the fires <laughs> of eternal hell. <laughs> I guess that's probably just thawed out quickly. Um, this is Bugle 279. Of course, that is the number of identical hats owned by Napoleon, who was trying to collect 360 of the hats, his trademark Napoleon hats, uh, so he could have one for each degree of a circle in order to uh, tilt his hat according to his mood, the prevailing political situation, um, etc. Before someone pointed out that he could have just turned his original hat on his head and he stopped collecting them. Uh, 279 of those hats. Um, and uh, this is for the weekending Friday the 21st of November uh, 2014, which means it is exactly 91 days since Albert Einstein, the celebrity scientist, published a, pa- a paper entitled Does the Inertia of a Body Depend on Its Energy Content? Subtitled, Should I Have Fed This Dog? Seriously, Someone should have told me to feed this dog. You know I'm a busy man. And uh, a section of the Bugle, as always, going straight in the bin. Uh, the 24th of November, which uh, is uh, Monday, 
Uh, next is the 155th anniversary of Charles Darwin, the original Chuck D, publishing The Origin of Species, um, and um, to commemorate uh, him laying down his evolutionary uh, action, um, we are giving out for every bugler a free genetic mutation to help you evolve into an even better species than the one you currently are. Choose from a range of options, including a full 360-degree spinning waist, enabling you to turn around to watch something happen behind you whilst running in the opposite direction. Particularly good if you are uh, a regular stuntman in action films. Uh, gills, save money on that costless scuba diving kit. Uh, pogo feet, ensure that your evolutionary descendants always arrive where they're getting too happy with uh, the bugle pogo stick foot gene and uh, a moral compass, which has never been pro- proven to exist. This one, accurate to within 120 degrees. That section... In the bin. Top story this week, the Cold War refrosts itself. And look, it, li- it might be a little early to call this, Andy. It's still just towards the end of November, and so much can still happen. But Vladimir Putin has had himself a banner year. Uh, I believe that 2014 was always supposed to be the Chinese year of the megalomaniacal Russian arsehole, Andy. <laughs> but frankly, it's lived up to the hype. Because Putin has arguably invaded Ukraine, arguably shot down a civilian plane, and inarguably hugged a koala at the G20 this week. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that those were his three New Year's resolutions at the start of the year, and he's hit the hat-trick with just a month and a half to spare. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a spicy G20. The world's uh, other leaders lined up to tell the Kremlin crankster that he was a cast-iron cockhammer, or words to that effect. Um, David Cameron claimed he was robust in his comments to the Russian leader. I mean, I, I imagine Putin was quite literally shitting himself in his still-empty grave. Whilst the Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper told Putin bluntly to get out of Ukraine, to which Putin responded... Hang on, let me just look you up on Wikipedia. Can a, can a what? Can a da, can a nyet more like? Good stuff, have a lovely day. <laughs> it was, that was an amazing encounter with Stephen Harper, the Canadian <laughs> Prime Minister. It was actually even more passive-aggressive. He apparently said to Putin, well, I guess I'll shake your hand, but I have only one thing to say to you. You need to get out of Ukraine. And that is some tough smack talk from Canada, Andy. Although I think it's a little telling that Canada only ever does this when they're at a summit alongside 18 other world leaders who are also angry with Russia. You put Stephen Harper alone in a room with Putin, and he's not so much talking shit to him as he is offering him a life-size glass mousse full of maple syrup. You know, which is not to say that something does not have to be done. Over a 1,000 people have been killed in eastern Ukraine since the ceasefire came into place on September the 5th. That's 13 people killed a day in the eight weeks since a truce was declared. That is a bold interpretation of a f***ing ceasefire, Andy. (laughs) They really might want to work a little bit on the cease part of that equation, because they've definitely got the fire bit down to a fault. Uh, Um, As I was saying, one of the key images of the whole summit was Putin getting his photo taken holding a koala. And frankly... If that experience did not calm him down, then nothing is going to. (laughs) I I think it might actually have been a huge missed opportunity by Australia to bring peace to Ukraine. Because if they said to Putin, which do you want, Crimea or this koala as a pet, (laughs) then he's taking the koala back home and he's giving Crimea back. Because anyone in their right mind would prefer a koala as a pet than a desolate, largely useless peninsula. (laughs) 
Well, if only the native Australians had thought of that when Cook invaded, Cook, Cook landed <laughs> in, sorry, in 1770. No, um, so... Uh, uh, he ended up leaving. He was the first of the G20 leaders to leave uh, Brisbane um, and uh, <laughs> told reporters that he was the first to go because he had to get back to Moscow to work and, quotes, needed four or five hours sleep. So he was he was just tired, John. He was, he, yeah. he was poor little Vlad, was tired. I'll give a little bit of advice to Vlad. Uh, take more than four or five hours sleep. Try... Seven or eight. It's no wonder you're so crotchety the whole time. Take it from me. I have, frankly, appalling sleeping patterns, Vladimir, and I behave like a bit of a tool most of the time. And you seem to have significantly worse symptoms than I do, and in a job in which those symptoms are a significantly more significant problem. It's been an amazing 2014 for Vladimir, because let's not forget... He also even hosted the Winter Olympics this year in Sochi, a Russian city that has a subtropical climate and is one of the only places in the entire country where there is no snow in the winter time. <laughs> He's had a hell of a year, Andy. <laughs> Putin has spent a lot of time and energy uh, over the last 12 months finessing Russia's relationship with the rest of the world. And by finessing, of course, I mean f***ing. He has been f***ing <laughs> Russia's relationship with the rest of the world, a relationship that was not un as soon as he started f***ing it. Because that relationship uh, between Russia and the rest of the planet, Andy, is currently as strained as a 70-year-old sprinter's hamstring, <laughs> by which I mean it is about to snap at any moment. <laughs> Just this year, there have been a tit-for-tat spy expulsions, tit-for-tat ambassador expulsions, gas supply cut-offs, and the kind of diplomatic back-and-forth that range from bitchy to full-on war-inducing. And look... <laughs> We've still got six weeks, Andy, of 2014 yet, but it is hard to know how Russia can escalate their diplomatic dick swinging any further without Putin going in front of the UN, unzipping his trousers, swinging his hips around and getting himself a rhythmic helicopter motion going. (laughs) (laughs) And if you think that this might all be the media overhyping the Cold War yet again, like military-industrial Don Kings, then consider this. A recent report by the European Leadership Network, argued that Russia's highly disturbing military strategy has resulted in almost 40 dangerously close encounters with NATO forces and civilian aircraft in just eight months. That's over one a week, Andy. That's not good news. Um, No, these included, uh, the most high risk uh, of them, included a a close encounter between a passenger plane taking off in Copenhagen and a Russian uh, reconnaissance uh, aircraft which did not transmit its uh, position. A collision was only avoided thanks to good visibility and the alertness of the passenger plane pilots. Uh, Joe Biden has, uh, has waded in uh, and uh, he said, it is simply not acceptable in the 21st century to, for countries to attempt to redraw borders by force in Europe or anywhere or to intervene militarily because they don't like the decisions their neighbour has made. And that is true in the 21st century. We left that shit behind in the 20th century and the 19th, and the 18th, and the 17th, and most centuries since Europe started existing. The G20 was hosted by Australia and their um, entertaining uh, Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, uh, entertaining not necessarily in in a particularly good way. Um, And um, a few weeks ago, he claimed that, uh, he said these exact words, I'm going to shirt front Mr Putin. You bet I am. Shirt front. Now, this uh, is, uh, I wasn't aware of the term 
shirt fronting. I assume it's an ancient Australian mating ritual dating back to the 1970s in which dominant males resolve disputes by approaching each other whilst wearing shirts and then grinding their chests into each other until the stronger man's shirt has worn away due to friction, hence shirt fronting, which also explains why Australian men so often wear no shirt or an unbuttoned shirt to suggest that they have successfully shirt-fronted all other competing males. So this is what, uh, what Abbott was, um, was going to do. Uh, his, uh, the leader of the opposition in Australia, Bill Shorten, described Abbott's uh, shirt-front threat to Putin as a brain snap, uh, which is very promising, John. That's the first signs of any activity in Tony Abbott's brain since he became Prime Minister. <laughs> and also... Um, uh, <laughs> As a result of this, there was another story that a convoy of heavily armed Russian warships, including at least one high-powered missile cruiser, was in international waters very close to Australia's northern coastline. Now, that's... I mean, that is very much a man responding to the leader of a country he views as beneath him. (laughs) Tony Abbott claimed this is just part of freedom of navigation. It's nothing to worry about the fact that there was some... Massive Russian warships. And let's bear in mind where this is, John. These are Russian warships near Australia. There is not a lot of Russian coastline near Australia, unless they're looking for that bit of the Kamchatka Peninsula that snapped off in the 1950s in a rogue nuclear test. There's, uh, I'd, I'd imagine this was a direct response to the shirt front threat, John. I mean, shirt fronting versus four heavily armed warships. And that is a convincing Russian win. I mean, they were quite close to Papua New Guinea as well, but I'd imagine Putin doesn't have any particular beef to grind with Papua New Guinea or the mighty Solomon Islands. And that nuclear standoff with mighty Vanuatu that kept Lenny Brezhnev sleepless for 600 consecutive nights in the mid-1970s is mercifully a thing of the past. FIFA update now. And look, buglers may well be aware uh, of the existence of FIFA, the governing body of global football and a dark stain on the soul of humanity. FIFA are not so much an organisation as they are a misery cartel. (laughs) Think of them as a private members club for some of the worst people on the planet. And yet again, uh, like corrupt clockwork, (laughs) they have disgraced themselves. Uh, Last Thursday, a report was published that FIFA had ordered, uh, which completely cleared Russia and Qatar of any wrongdoing during the bidding process for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. What a surprise, Andy, (laughs) that uh, FIFA's report cleared FIFA and uh, anyone related to FIFA from any wrongdoing. Who who could possibly have seen that coming? Um, It was was truly, uh, truly extraordinary. FIFA might not be a country, but it does... Behave like a country, as I think you yourself saw at the last, uh, last, oh, the, the 2010 World Cup, and it behaves like a country whose leaders would love to have regular military parades instead of uh, four yearly football tournaments. FIFA is unquestionably the king shit in the third bucket of sporting administrative <laughs> organisations, and one of the things that helped it find itself not guilty of corruption was not publishing the vast majority of the investigation into whether or not it was guilty of corruption. And um, it just made even more baffling the decision to hold the world's biggest sporting event in a glorified sandpit populated largely by charlatans and slaves. It's, uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable that this decision... Had, no one believes this, John. It is no, that decision could not have been made 
properly, honestly, and completely without any suspicious sums of money and or massive coincidental watches changing hands. It just can't have happened. The crazy thing is, while FIFA, you know, extrapolating a bullshit conclusion from a bullshit report was not in and of itself remotely surprising, the aftermath did end up being quite surprising because less than four hours later after the report was released, Michael Garcia, the man who had spent two years investigating and working on the report, criticised FIFA for mischaracterising what he had written. Uh, He apparently delivered a 430-page report in September of this year. However, there was already a beautifully flawed system in place to process that report because FIFA had chosen to split their ethics committee in two like a sociopathic Solomon (laughs) with an investigation unit headed by Garcia and then an adjudicatory unit with German judge Hans-Joachim Eckert in charge. So the system was that FIFA would commission an independent report they would own which would then be adjudicated by a completely independent unit they also own, who would then rewrite it independently. (laughs) The the, the New York Times has described FIFA this week as exhibiting farcically shady (laughs) behaviour, and the Wall Street Journal has accused Sepp Blatter of running FIFA like a third-world dictator, which is frankly a little insulting, because he really does run FIFA like a first-world dictator, (laughs) Andy. FIFA is a non-profit organisation with over a billion dollars in the bank. It creates its own laws and it has a headquarters in Switzerland. It could not be any more farcically shady unless Sepp Blatter sat in a gigantic throne stroking a hairless cat. (laughs) As you say, you cannot spell plainly a whitewash without, yeah, what a pile of shite. And... It's rebounded on England, who've been one of the main accusers of FIFA, uh, because in the reports they found the English FA guilty of dodgy dealings and uh, and some uh, allegedly corrupt activity. And being accused by FIFA of being corrupt is like being approached by a dolphin who comes up and blows cigar smoke in your face and says, you know your problem, kid, you swim too much. The fact is, top-level football is as dead on the inside as Lucy, the celebrity celebrity skeleton of the Australopithecus afarensis species of hominid from 3.2 million years ago, is dead on the outside. In fact, it's fair to say that even now, John, the old girl has a stronger ethical compass than FIFA, in that she has no ethical compass at all, rather than one that points unerringly to dodgy north. And I don't really give a shit about someone stealing Christmas, John, but I do give a shit about someone stealing the World Cup. There are alternatives to Christmas. You have Easter, Hanukkah, Mother's Day and Ramadan. But the World Cup, John, is the World Cup. Is there nothing sacred anymore? (laughs) Buses full of shit news now and a great breakthrough, John, here. Uh, We now have a shit-powered bus uh, uh, running in Bristol, a bus powered by uh, human excrement. Um, is running between uh, Bath and Bristol Airport, I think. And um, it was launched uh, yesterday, the the, 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 the Pooh bus, uh, and amidst great environmental uh, fanfare. And the great thing about it, John, is this bus, um, is uh, which is fuelled, as I said, by, by treated sewage, um, is decorated with five sort of double life-size pictures of people having a shit on a toilet. And this is really <laughs> laying laying its, the cards of its fuel on the table of its bus. Um, and I, it's, it's good to see, see a piece of transport being that honest um, you know, about where its fuel, fuel comes from. You wouldn't get a you know, conventionally-powered bus you know, that runs on normal petrol. 
with massive pictures of of dead Iraqi children on it. So I mean, it's good to have it's good to have this level of honesty. It's got a picture of um, uh, a man sitting reading a newspaper, an old lady knitting. John knitting whilst whilst doing her daily business. She looks like she is booked in for a tough one. <laughs> then <laughs> behind that, <laughs> I mean, knit, knitting. I mean, I know it's nearly Christmas and she's probably got... But, I mean, that is... I guess maybe this is just... I mean, this is what what happens when you get old. You start to think, I haven't got that much time before the merciful claw of the Reaper. I'm going to have to start multitasking. Um, then behind that, there is a dark-skinned man holding what appears to be a grenade, which I, I don't know what it is. I think it, it's possibly a mobile phone, but it does look a bit like a grenade. And then a young lady, bit far-fetched. Women don't do that kind of nonsense. Um, uh and uh, another bloke sitting uh, reading a magazine, which could be the new scientist or could be something written by Al Qaeda. We will never know. But this is a great—it's a great moment for British transport, John. We have beaten the rest of the world. The rest of Europe might be able to put a, a lander on a comet, but we can power a bus made of shit. Bugle competition time now, and well, a new competition here—not the one you can win a, a prize with—but this competition is whose country is the bigger dick. Uh, and we will attempt to find which country has been the biggest dick in any given week. And the two contests, uh, two countries for the first uh, first week of this contest, your country, John, and uh, and my country, the USA and the UK. Uh, and the UK's entry this week is a local council that has told a woman she is going to lose uh, about fifteen percent of her housing benefit on the grounds that she has a spare room under the government's so-called bedroom tax um, that has penalised people for having unoccupied bedrooms resulting in the Queen moving out of Buckingham Palace and living in a bed sit in Elephant and Castle. After it turned out she had 439 unoccupied bedrooms. What makes this case different, John, is that that spare room is a specially fitted secure panic room to protect this woman from a violent ex-partner who has made death threats against her and physically and sexually oh abused her. God. And uh, she's now losing benefits because of this. I mean, I think that makes Britain... Quite a bit of a dick this week. The US entry is a $1 million bill for a Canadian woman who gave birth prematurely in Hawaii and whose baby had to spend two months in intensive care. So, oh, the the wonderful warmth of human compassion. So, John, we'll let you be the adjudicator for this well, first contest. Well, I know there's content. two very strong pitches, and it's yeah. hard to choose between the two. Now, can you not just split that award down the middle? <laughs> We we need a winner, John, because this is going to operate on a challenge system. Because if you buglers, it, it, it's really hard to punish a panic room. I think. <laughs> That's, they, they really raised the dick bar pretty high there. I think I'm going to have to rule that Britain was the biggest dick. Yes, Team GB, Team GB, <laughs> to another gong. So, Buglers, this is going to operate on a challenge system, kind of winner stays on. So you have to challenge Britain. You have to knock Britain off top, top spots. So if you think your country has been a bigger dick than uh, this week's uh, champion, email us proudly with details of your nation's behavioural blooper and see if you can knock uh, Britain off top spots. Uh, and if you are from Britain, do submit your nomination for another example of Britain being a total dick of a nation to see if we can defend our title. Perhaps you're from Tanzania. 
want to nominate your country for flogging off the ancestral lands of the Maasai to be used as a hunting reserve for a Dubai-based luxury hunting company to fly billionaires and royalty from the UAE over to shoot some lovely African wildlife. Not with cameras either, with, with guns. Maybe you're from Thailand and aren't too happy with the military junta you're currently being governed by or you're from Mexico. Whatever it is, email us to info at com with the words in the subject box, my country, tis a dick. Your emails now. This one came in from Tim, uh, John. Uh, just an FYI, writes Tim, that despite John's slightly aggressive use of the past tense last week, Dame Vera Lynn is in fact very much still alive and presumably now out for revenge for your blatant character assassination last week. Watch well, out. Is going to break a barstool over the back of my head? <laughs> she, she is. What, what is true is that she's a dirty fighter, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep an eye out for it. Uh, this email came in from Andy Rocha, a Brazilian bugler, uh, who says he's still not over the fact that Diego Costa plays for Spain. Um, life is f- full of many cruel twists. Um, Hello, Andy, John and Chris. I came across this picture earlier this week, and as you can imagine, my head almost exploded. It is a picture, John, of Vladimir Putin and Sepp Blatter holding a football together. And that's... It's hard to see where civilization can go from here. Uh, Andy continues, I cannot put into one email all the thoughts that came into my head, most of which included profanity. So I decided to ask you guys a few questions in order to get some clarity about my feelings here. Uh, Question one, John, what do you think is the complete opposite of this picture? Uh, I guess guess the complete opposite would probably be Mother Teresa and a baby holding a dove. (laughs) Well, I mean, Andy has offered his own answer uh, from Brazil. He says uh, Mother Teresa giving a football to Nelson Mandela. Okay, so yeah, were, that's, yeah, that's nice as well. You are on the right lines. Question two, uh, what do you think would happen if a mere mortal touched that same football that Putin and Blatter have both touched? Oof, you mean like Ghostbuster style? It's something terrible. Probably, I think two days later you die. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, sort of on the right lines with the film scenario, Andy suggested it would be the same situation as happened when the Nazis opened the Lost Ark in the first Indiana Jones movie. Um, <laughs> their faces would melt or something like that. Uh, Lassie, do you think that Blatter and Putin are planning on worshipping this ball as it represents a higher evil of sorts? It could be the ball used in the Germany v Brazil game in the World Cup and these men now believe in its evil powers. That is very much a Brazilian view on uh, on on that football. So... <laughs> It did feel, in looking at the reaction faces of the crowd during that game, it did look like they were honestly thinking they were watching something evil happen. (laughs) It was like seeing a basket full of puppies drowned in front of you, I imagine, for for a Brazilian football fan. Seven puppies in a very short space of time. We have an email here from Michael regarding uh, the merch, the new merch, who says, Dear John and Andy, I've seen your must-have Christmas jumper but I'm concerned that the description of the item may be inaccurate. It's described as a unisex jumper. However, I feel that describing it as a no-sex jumper might be more appropriate. <laughs> well, for, for a start, you don't know that. You don't know. Is it likely? Yes. Yeah. And I think, if anything, we should be selling that, Andy, that this has a... It's an excellent as a contraceptive as well. <laughs> Well, we should be. We should. They should be airdrops of these across the overpopulated regions of the world. Yes. I mean, I think would the Pope approve the bugle jumper as a form of contraception? Because it's not. I mean, it's 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 you know it's basically 
prompting natural abstinence through the application of That's questionable true. fashion. It might be true. This might be the only way you can convince him to get on the birth control train. <laughs> well, that's how monks work, isn't it? They wear those those rather unflattering brown cassocks and they shave the tops of their heads. And, you know, that's, that's basically what it's about, isn't it? Um, to, Andy, if you can get the Pope to walk out on the balcony in the Vatican wearing a bugle Christmas jumper, <laughs> we're going to sell at least 15 Christmas jumpers. Well, you say that, John... And you had your scepticism last week, as indeed I may have done as well. We've already sold 65 Christmas jumpers. And this is despite... ridiculous. Despite a website malfunction that meant some people who tried to order it in America weren't able to. But that's now been rectified. 65, and that is the biggest selling jumper in the, the history of the Northern Hemisphere. Stop buying it. Now, I know this is a weird sales technique. Jesus. Nobody needs a Christmas jumper with our faces knitted into it, Andy. How many sheep does it take to make 65 bugle jumpers? Oh, I'd think about, I don't know, It's I think it's 100 sheep per jumper. I mean, this Just is... think, about, think about it from the sheep's point of view, as it's being aggressively sheared, thinking, oh, where, where, where's, my, where, where's my wool going to? And then the shearer's saying, it's not great news, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm not sure how much sheep wool is in that. It might be from uh, purest acrylic from the acrylic groves of no, the Amazon. Yeah, so yeah, an acrylic, the acrylic sheep. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I got the prototype. I didn't, I didn't say what it was made of. It's toasty and warm though. And well, I mean, it we're is doing a it, very, very bad job of selling this. Andy. It does make. I'm essentially saying, don't buy it. And <laughs> you've stumbled over the fact that I mean, obviously, it's not wool. Is it? Um, it's some kind of bastardised chemical. It might be wool. I mean, it's, it's an advance of space wool. You know, this is... It's, it's space, space wool. Yeah. Yep. It's the kind of wool you could wear on a comet and not get cold. Um, and, uh, yeah, also, uh, I guess, you know, it's got a lot going for it. That It's got R2 faces on it, which means that anyone looking at you wearing a Christmas jumper, you're, most, you're probably going to have the most attractive of those three faces. I mean, that's... that's so that might, I guess that might yes, counteract I, the I earlier... I still think, with our faces on that jumper as well, yeah. you're looking at a 120% guarantee of no pregnancy. <laughs> and uh, one of our, our backroom staff, we call them that, has uh, photoshopped a picture of uh, Rihanna wearing the bugle jumper, John. Did I send it to you? I can't remember. Shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> I mean, that's, she was really shining bright like a diamond there, John. I can see what you're going on about. She always does. She always well, does, I think she particularly does whilst wearing a bugle Christmas jumper. That's... Well, I mean, she, she shines like the normal amount of a diamond, which right. is a lot. It, with Rihanna, <laughs> it doesn't matter what she's wearing, Andy. Well, I disagree with you on that. I mean, I, I think she's at least 8% more attractive in a bugle jumper. OK. Yep. Yeah, well, that's a huge claim. And I think the Pope would be at least 10% more attractive. Particularly if he accessorises it with a hat. Um, <laughs> he loves his hats. Um, so you can get the, the the Christmas jumper if you want it, or if you want to, uh, um, you know, send a, send one to a major religious leader uh, uh, at uh, thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle, and keep those emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. My tour dates this week, as I said, Folkestone has regrettably uh, been snowed off um, by the North American weather. But I will be in Shoreham on Friday, Aldershot on Saturday this week, uh, Saturday the 29th of November, and then 
the third in Wimbledon, fourth in Aylesbury and sixth in Reading uh, and then the eighth in Cardiff recording my DVD. So do come along to all of those. Thanks to all who have come to the shows uh, so far and um, thanks to the six of you who had bought tickets for Folkestone. I'm (laughs) very sorry (laughs) that there were not some more of you. (laughs) Next time. Yeah. Uh, are are yeah, I'm so, so Actually, sorry. Hold on. I've been to Folkestone and I know that's not true. <laughs> that's it for this week's Bugle. We will be uh, off due to uh, Thanksgiving uh, next week and then we'll be back having given all our various thanks to stuff uh, in December. Uh, until then, Buglers, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.